All right, so we're in Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 10, even though we covered it a little bit last week. We're going to continue to cover it um, this week because I, I think it really sets up the end of, of, the, of the chapter as well. So where are we going today? Where's our main point? It says, God calls us to keep our eyes open as not to be deceived, and we must run the race that he has set before us so that we might receive the prize at the end. As we look through many different sections in the book of Revelation, we see persecution. We see those who are followers of Jesus being persecuted, and we want to make sure that they know that there is they need to keep their eye on the prize, right? As we as followers of Christ, sometimes we can miss the mark and we don't keep our eye on the prize. But when we're in the midst of persecution, I think it really helps us focus, helps us narrow down where we need to go. So Revelation chapter 13, verse 10 talks about that persecution. It says, anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will, be, will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. This, to me, is kind of a comfort. God knows if we're going to be persecuted. God knows we're going to be in prison. God knows if we're supposed to die by the sword. He knows it all. And so I am not going to really worry about that. If I'm supposed to be um, preach the gospel in his name and I'm going to die for it, that's what God's destined me to do, and I will follow his will, and not mine. Even Christ understood that. So let us not forget that we have been sent. We have been sent. That's our first point today. And boy, does it look bleak in Revelation. For followers of Christ, it really looks bleak. It starts off as a pretty wonderful thing. God puts his mark on us, and then he reserves uh, 144,000. He's going to get ready to do that in the next chapter again, too, or he's going to be talking about the, the first 144,000. But in each, we see glimpses of where God has called up his people to heaven, and that is what our hope is all about, whether it's in a rapture, some believe, or it's, it's, it's in the, um, the winnowing effect that we see. And that's actually in chapter 14. So that's what we're going to come back to when we come back to Revelation later on this fall. We're going to be moving to the book of John after vacation Bible school. So in two weeks, we'll go back to the book of John for the summer, and then we'll come back into Revelation again. Okay? So it looks bleak, and it it would be just easy to shy away from our mission, wouldn't it? We see, we hear, we know that there's going to be persecution for the followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's easy for us to say, hey, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do my faith. And by my actions, people will know. But as a few weeks we talked about ago, we talked about how, how could we could do those actions, but maybe you know, wear a Christian t-shirt to let them know that, why we're doing this for. Not, we're not doing this for necessarily St. Jude Foundation, but we're doing this for the, um, the love of Jesus Christ that's in our heart. And it's more than just a t-shirt, isn't it? But a t-shirt doesn't hurt anything, right? It's just those little things, you know? It, it kind of shuts your mouth up a little bit and focuses your actions a little bit when it's just screaming out on the front of your t-shirt. Um, so what is our t-shirt in a sense? It's our mouth, right? 
what comes out of our mouth, the overflow of our mouth, is our t-shirt to the world that we have every day. And so if we are going to be something different than what the world offers, then our mouth better sound different than what the world shows too, right? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But we must remember that we have been commissioned to go. The worship team's like, well, I didn't know that last song was going to be in there. I changed it yesterday because I was like, that's perfect. Just like I had everything else perfect, but I appreciate. I knew they'd have to roll the punches a little bit there, but they did well, and we really appreciate um, them stepping up like that. We have a responsibility to follow Jesus's footsteps. Remember in the call to worship this morning, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, it says, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I'm so happy. I can't wait to go outside, can't you? I just want, I just want to share my faith now. Sheep among wolves, we're not going to do well. So be as shrewd as snakes and innocent or as harmless as doves. And I think innocent's a better word there because it means we're not supposed to go find out what the world has to offer. We're not supposed to go find sin. We already know sin's going to find us. We're very good at being professional sinners. And so we need to be shrewd as snakes. We need to make wise decisions and we need to be full of grace. That's kind of what he's saying there. So don't go as naive children in your faith. Don't go as naive children in your faith. What do I mean by that? What meaning? Don't go experience sin. Well, I won't know what sin is like unless I experience it. You know how many times I've been tried to pull that? You know who tries to pull that more than anybody? Somebody that's grown up in the church. They will say, well, I need to, I need to experience it. Otherwise, I, don't, I won't have a good testimony. I won't have a good story to tell. You know what happens to those Christians nine times out of ten? They never come back to church. They never come back to church. They believe that lie and they fall away. Or they don't come back as strong as they have. And by the grace of God, every once in a while, they will come back. That's what I was like. That was me. I would go, well, I need to experience it to know. Well, that's a lie. It's a lie. I would, I would hang one foot over the fence and I'd walk in the world and I'd walk in the, in the, in the church and pretty soon I found myself hanging onto the fence with one arm, walking in the world. And I'm like, well, if I can see the fence, I ought to be able to get back, right? So now I'm walking 10 feet in, looking at the fence. But I always made my way back. You know what the problem with that is? A lot of my friends in high school, they didn't make it back. A lot of my friends that I grew up in with the church, they didn't make it back. They said, well, Shane, if he can do this, then I ought to be able to do it too. But they... They went the way of the world. And if I would have found the fence row and said, well, this is where God wants me to walk. This is the limit of where he wants me to go. And then walked away from that fence and walked to him. What a testimony that is. That's something that I've learned from a master deceiver, sinner, Christian growing up. He said, look at the fence row and walk away from it. That was Robbie Zacharias. And if you know anything about Ravi these days, we find out that he was 
he walked away from that fence quite often. And that's kind of sad. Um, but we can still learn from what he has to say through God's word. See the fence row, walk away from it. So it means don't go with the... What I meant by be as shrewd as snake and harmless as doves or not to be naive children, don't be naive in God's word. Find out what it says. Apply it to our lives and then we will be able to apply it to our current situation. And when we do that, we have something amazing. A good example of this is knowledge to know something is knowing that tomato is a fruit, right? But wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad, right? Huh? Right? That's one I got from Bill Allison. I love that one, right? So knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. We know better than that. So we need to go full of wisdom and full of grace. We know our friends are caught in sin, right? We know our coworkers are caught. They're blinded by sin. They have a veil that's over their face. They think they know what's right, but they don't. Or they start questioning what they're doing is right, and they're looking for answers, and they want somebody to speak to them about the Messiah. But we, how are we going to go to them? Are we going to go and say, well, you're a sinner. You can't do that. You got to stop sinning. You got to stop doing this. And you got to get out of that lifestyle. It's not what Jesus did, did he? He would go to them in the midst of their sin, and he would walk out of them with full of grace. And once they saw that example, he said, go and sin no more. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of God, that's God of love. That's a God of justice. Can you see how it's balanced there? So he walks them, takes, walks with them in their sin, right at the point of sin, walks them out of it. They realize what just happened. And he says, go and sin no more. Meaning if you go back to that sin, there's going to be consequences. Also, if you walk out of that sin, there's going to be some major joy in your life, Right? What do we have to offer as Christians that the world doesn't have? We have joy in, in, the, in the suffering, right? We have joy in suffering. And we have peace that passes understanding in the trials. Those are the two biggest things I think we have to offer. And we have redemption. Uh, for those that have been walking in sin all their life, there's something amazing that can, that can come out of it. Does God redeem those who walk away from him? You better believe he does. You better believe he does. So if we know our friends are caught in sin, we don't go up them and hold them, their sins over them. We choose to look past the sin and introduce them to our Redeemer, our Savior, right? God is in the redemption business, and if we want to restore them to where we are, we don't go and point out everything they're doing wrong. Maybe we even encourage them in some of the things that they're doing right. And then ask them, you ever wonder why you do that? Why do you do good? Why are people good? Do you think it's in their nature to be good? You know, some of us as adults, we 
try to deceive ourselves and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, by our nature, we're, we're good, but that's not true. Ask any fifth, sixth grader. Yes, I'm up in the youth group on, on Thursday nights, and they, they're like, no. <laughs> They'll answer you bluntly. No, we're not good. And God, in his goodness, extends that to us. And then he is our redemption, our savior. So he's sending out, out full of wisdom, full of grace. We don't need to be shy of our calling because God calls us to keep our eyes open at, as not to be deceived. We must run the race that he has set before us that we might receive the prize at the end. What happens if we stop running our Christian walk? What if we just stop? We sit down. Is there any time in your Christian walk where coasting has got you closer to the Lord? I'm just going to coast. I got a hill here. Guess what? Hills go downhill or uphill. You're either backsliding when you're going downhill because you stop pushing, or you're going down even though you're going forward. You're going down to hell, <laughs> right? Yeah, like an escalator. Yeah, you don't have to do any effort when you're on an escalator, do you? You just go down. And God calls us to turn around and walk against those things. He calls us to go up, to press against. And that's not easy all the time, is it? It's not. So let's look at Revelation chapter 13, 11 through 14a. It says, And then I saw another beast come out of the earth. And this is the Antichrist. And he had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and his people to worship the first beast, those uh, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down from the earth, from the sky, while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. So what is our caution here? Watch out for copycats. Watch out for copycats because the Antichrist, he's going to be full of miracles. He's going to be full of things that look like Old Testament miracles. And he's going to come out of the earth. He's going to offer security. When you see the earth, the land in this case, and so when you talk about this false security, the world's going to be in chaos, and he's going to have a solution that brings everybody together. As we saw earlier in chapter 13, the sea, it started off in the sea, and that started off in the chaos, and he's going to bring this false sense of security that he has a foundation that we can stand on. And here we will have a new government, which is the beast. Anytime you hear the beast, it's talking about a government, a world government. And we will, it'll come out of the seventh government, it'll eventually be the eighth, and he will, it will equal short-term stability. Because that's all he needs, that's all he has left, right? Satan will, has about three and a half years, and then God's going to call him into a reckoning. And so if he doesn't group up his army and things to face the Messiah, he's going to be done for. So he's going to start off, and it's going to look very good. So we see two horns like a lamb. This is going to be the false Messiah because it's going to bring about a false peace. 
Just like the Messiah did. When he came, he brought peace to our spiritual hearts, right? This Antichrist is going to bring peace across, a false peace across the way. He will rule over the empire and the dwellers of this world, meaning non-believers, those that don't believe in Christ, the world will stop. The world will worship the beast again, and the government will have all the answers. People will worship the beast. The seventh empire will be short, and the eighth will spring up out of it. That's where the Antichrist will come. So in verse 13, we'll see false miracles. We'll see fire from heaven. Where's this fire from heaven? What's that a reference to? Elijah, right? when he called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. So this is, well, surely he must be a prophet of the Lord if he isn't the Messiah. We'll have counterfeit acts. We'll have all these false things that come. But what the problem is, is he will have the tongue or the voice of the dragon. Right? And so it will look a lot like these peaceful acts, but it won't sound quite right. It won't match up to God's word because eventually he's going to blaspheme God. He will blaspheme, the spirit of the world will blaspheme the spirit of heaven. So how can we be ready for this great deception or this great deceiver who will have a sweet tongue and he'll have miracles to back it up. He's going to look like a lamb who was slain in a sense, but he's not. He's going to have a fatal wound that's going to be healed. And he's going to have horns that look like a lamb that's going to bring about peace, but it's not quite the same peace that Messiah has. Okay? So how can we be prepared? First, we can draw near to God, right? We draw near to God. That's a, almost the title of a great book. It's called Daring to Draw Near, if you want to read a good book. That one's a great one on prayer. It's uh, put out by University Press. If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. That's what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Our faith in times of trial, when our faith is what our faith will be like under pressure. So if you get a little pressure, you get your back against the wall, you're pressed on a few sides. When we get into deeper trials down the road, that's also what our faith is going to look like. We're faithful with the little things. We'll be faithful with the large things as well. When we are in step with God, it reflects in our faithful actions. When we are close to God, we will be able to see the deception the world has around us. So how do we know that this person is the Antichrist? When we're walking in step with Christ, we will see the indicators all around us, won't we? So if you want to know what a counterfeit looks like, do you study the counterfeits? No, you study the real thing, right? You want to know what a real dollar looks like? You study a real dollar. You want to know what a real Christian looks like? You study Christ because he's the real deal. And hopefully you have some people in your life that that can follow the example of Jesus as well. That's what Paul says. He says, follow my example 
as I follow Christ. And I hope I do a good job as your pastor to do the same thing. That is not an easy thing to do. So how can, here's another way we can look at that. So we, we dare to draw near. The second one is look through Jesus' eyes. We need to look through Jesus' eyes. In a sense, we need to have empathy, but we also need to have wisdom as well. Jesus saw the Pharisees for what they were. He was able to see that, that they were a brood of vipers. They were leaders in the church, acting in sin and distorting the truth. Jesus came to set the truth, correct it, to free it up, right? And so when we go through, we see um, Jesus doing this several times to the Pharisees. He would even say about the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do. They're quoting the right scriptures, but they're not putting it into practice correctly. Okay? And we can see that in church today, can't we? We can see people saying that God is love, God is love, God is love. But the problem is, their actions then turn around and say, well, if God is love, then he's going to forgive me when I sin. I can just sin whenever I want. But we have a God of justice, don't we? He's the Savior to all, and if he's the God of justice, then there has to be a right and there has to be a wrong. And if we're going to follow the God of justice who is in the right then we need to reflect that God. Amen? Amen, Shane. Thanks, guys. <laughs> wow, I feel like I have to do a dance this morning. Uh, Jesus, he clearly rebukes the Pharisees. We need to rebuke the pharisaical lifestyle that is in our life. Jesus also has compassion on the hurt and the broken, doesn't he? He does. That's exciting to me. Because I can be broken at sometimes. I can be hurting. And I know that Jesus comes alongside me. Sometimes it's, I'm hurting because of my own sinful nature. And he comes in and he says, Hey, I realize you're in sin. You realize you're in sin. We can walk out of this together. Go and sin no more. Isn't that exciting? He is calling us out into his wonderful love. Is he a God of love? Absolutely. Does he desire relationship with us? Absolutely. That is his number one priority. Why would he send his son to set the ultimate example if, if he didn't? Right? And why would his son come unless he could fulfill the law of love? He wouldn't. He did fulfill the law. He did, and that was made him worthy of the sacrifice we see on the cross. So when we see a situation that needs compassion, we need to never assume the way it is is the way that it's always going to be. Well, why is Chuck like that? Oh, that's just the way he is. Does he have to stay that way? No. Do we have to stay that way? No. God has something more 
amazing for us than we could ever, ever imagine. God is into miracles, isn't he? The biggest miracle that I could ever see God ever doing is a miracle changing our hearts, the hearts of men. Because he's changed mine, and I've seen how he's changed it. And we need to remember Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Remember, God's love is bigger than us. It's bigger than you. So don't limit a limitless God because we can't see the solution. You ever get a God-sized problem, it's going to take a God-sized solution, right? And if we think that we can handle it on our own, usually God knocks us back on our butt so that we turn back to him. And it, he'll keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that until we can turn the problem over to him. So if we turn it over to him sooner, it doesn't turn into a God-sized problem. What? I know. But there's sometimes circumstances bring God-sized problems to us. Sometimes other people's sin bring God-sized problems to us. Right? Does God still have a plan in that? Yeah. Because we know that all, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Satan's the one that loves suffering. God doesn't love suffering. God will make his, us, he will deliver us out of suffering. Satan will take us into it, right? He's like, oh, just go down this path. Just go down this path. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's okay. It'll feel good. And then pretty soon we're doing it again. And we're doing it more often. And we're doing it more often. What's that sound like? Sounds like addiction, doesn't it? We get addicted to ourselves. We get addicted to sin. The problem is not with the outside. The problem is in our hearts. And if we attack the problem at the source, he will deliver us from the, out, the outside, the things on the outside. So don't limit a limitless God because we can't see a solution. The last application point there is give God the glory. The world cannot comprehend when someone doesn't take credit. The world can't comprehend it. They're like, well, obviously he's going to get the credit. No, I'm just going to give it to the Lord. That's why I love, especially on Christian radio. You ever hear the donors on Christian radios? I love them. I'm glad we have them. Otherwise, we wouldn't have WCIC. You know what my favorite ones are? Mr. Anonymous. That's right. I love them because we're not giving it for our glory. We're not giving it. And there's sometimes it's a remembrance of something or in honor of their anniversary. I, I love that. That's great. But Anonymous is so much better because we're not giving glory to ourselves. Right? It's not about us. It's about God's mission and allowing that radio station to declare God's mission through some good Christian music. But it's not in our nature, our human nature, to do that, is it? I'm, this is, I, always, I always say this every time, but I, this is my guiltiest one. I'm very proudful. Look what I did, Lord. Look what I did. Oh, you did that? Bird man, right, William? Yeah, he was thinking it. 
right? That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I got to make sure I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. I don't, I don't want to turn into Birdman. That's right. That would be, that'd be quite the testimony for seven years, wouldn't it? You have a king turn into a bird. That's just crazy. I'm not going to go there. So um, that's what happens in the Bible. It happens in the book of Daniel. If you're wondering, what, what is he talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Nebuchadnezzar turns into a bird man because he wants to worship um, himself. And look what I've done. And that's something that reminds me. It keeps me in check and keep my ego in check to give God the glory because God works best when we are a conduit of praise. We receive praise, we give it on up, right? It's a conduit. It's not a vacuum. It doesn't get halfway up the tube and go back to me. That's exactly what Satan did. He took and he siphoned it off. It was going up and he siphoned off praise so he would get some of it. John 14, 13, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You did the asking, but God did it, right? We asked, we submitted, but God did it. We need to remember that after it's done. So honor the Father with the praise. God calls us to keep our eyes open as not to be deceived, and we must run the race that he has set before us so that we might receive the prize at the end. Let's look at Revelation 13. We're going to read 14, the front part and the back part, through 18. And with all the miracles that he was allowed to perform, this is the Antichrist, on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast and was who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship, it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead and... No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing its name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Wisdom is needed here. It's the final point of the day. How will we know? Well, we'll ultimately know when there's this number, this ominous number on everybody's hand. But how, how are we going to know before that? We're going to see it in his character, folks. We're going to be able to know. And if we study God's word, we will know what the deception, the anti-God looks like. So what will start off as a very pluralistic view of worship that all... Anybody can, can worship God any way they want, and they will, out of this, kind of come to a, a conclusion that all roads, they lead to the same destination, which is a false lie. Or the next one will be, all the spokes of the wheel, they, they come from the same hub. And we hear that starting today, but it's going to be a national thing. 
that we can all get along. Yes, there is a God out there, and eventually the beast and the Antichrist, they're going to say, it's me. And that's the ultimate blasphemy against God, the Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because we know that he is the God out there. Right now, Satan doesn't want to reveal himself, and so his, one of his best plays in our country today is saying, well, there is no God. Well, then he's going to come down when he gets to the end. He's going to reveal himself and say, yes, there is a God. It's me. And that is a de- deceit that is beyond, uh, beyond righteous of anything. It's so wicked. That's, that's the ultimate blasphemy that we could ever do. We need to be paying attention to this. So what will start out as a very pluralistic view of worship will come and narrow down and say, you must, oh, we said pluralistic, but really I meant me. And it'll be easy for the world to follow that way because that's the way it will be. He will look very much like a God. He will look very much like a solution. And we will very much be able to say, Yes, he looks like that, but what's his voice going to sound like? It's going to sound like a dragon, right? And so as he looks like he's bringing in this peace, he's not going to be talking peace. As he looks like he's going to bring bringing in these things, those things won't manifest quite the same as what they would if a loving God was there. And so that's how we'll be able to discuss to tell ultimately. So, but we'll know the Antichrist will focus worship on this idol. And if you don't worship the way it wants you to, you will die. And it's talking about taking a mark on the forearm or the heart. The question we need to ask ourselves is, Our lives, are they more valuable than our faith? Living, will it be more valuable than our faith? Especially when everybody else is going that way. I'm kind of a sucker for Star Wars. I've been watching The Bad Batch. You guys been watching that, Josh? Any? The new one a little bit? Well, we've been watching it, and they, the, it's when the empire is starting up, is when this little cartoon is, is going. And as they go through it, and I, I don't think it would give me any spoilers, they say, turn in your, your, your money for imperial credits. Turn it in for imperial credits, because... They're blending it all into one system. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. We all get together, and we'll all have the same um, way to go. And I, I really think we'll see a one-world currency eventually down the road. We don't necessarily see it in this passage, but we do see it later on. Um, and this one-world government, it looks really good, and it sounds really good, but it's not going to be really good because it's going to be easier to corrupt the world when you're under one government, under under one beast, and when that happens, it'll will rise up a hero that looks so amazing, and you're gonna have everything's gonna point to look really good, 
but it's going to grate against your faith in Jesus Christ. And you'll have to ask. I can go along to get along and go in comfort, or I'll go against the flow, and I'll choose a living Savior. And that'll be a difficult day. But God calls us to do that every day, doesn't he? And so if you see that as a difficult choice now, you might be dealing with some of that anyway, going against your comfort to fit in. So we need to choose to submit to a living God or we're going to choose to submit to this living idol and we'll lose eternity. We see in verse 16 that we have to pick sides. There's going to be a mark on the hand or the forehead. There's going to be a point where we can't just say, oh, this looks really good, and I I can kind of fake it in the background. There's going to be a time where everybody's going to be lined up, and you're either going to run away from the line, or you're going to get a mark on your forearm or your heart or your head, depending on where you see him. And what is that a reference to? It's a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Bind them to your heart. Put them on your head. The little tassels that we have in the Jewish traditions were there that were God's word that were supposed to penetrate their head and their heart. And it becomes this religion in a sense. And so it may be just as much of an intellectual battle against God's word as it is a physical government that comes out. They're going to be very blasphemy-ish. That's a new word I made up. Um, (laughs) There's going to be words of blasphemy that will be spoken directly against the Lord, and we will know that this is not a government we want to follow. So they're going to go after our work. That's our arms, right? That's what Baruch uh, suggested, and I thought that was really good. And our head, our thought process. And God wants us to think and do according to God's word. Satan wants to replace this. He wants to give us a distortion. Oh yeah, I want you to follow a word, but I want it to be my word, not God's word. He's already doing this today, by the way. We're just You don't really see it until you really grade up against it. And when you start pushing against it, oh man, it starts pushing back, and then you see it. But when it comes to buying and selling or doing commerce in the business place, we as true believers, we must trust God that he will provide for our needs, that he will sustain us even in these last times. Then we look at verse 18. We see the number 666, right? During that time, that number will point to the Antichrist. It will point to a false trinity. It will point to a false savior, a government figurehead, in my opinion. And when people study the book of Revelation, they want to know what the number 666 means or who it is. However, when we started the book of Revelation, we find out that the most emphasized, important thing is how we live. 
if we live a life according to Christ, it's going to be obvious who the Antichrist is. It's going to be obvious where it comes out of. And I would point to the person that has the 666 as a persecutor of the Christian faith. Persecutor of the Jewish faith probably as well. That will start as a solution to the world's problems. They will bring about a false peace. They will start focusing the blame on God's people, much like Hitler did with the Jews. And we'll go along to get along because it's comfortable. And we won't care that Mr. Goldberg down the way, he went off to he went on a camping trip for the rest of his life, which is about a week long because he took a shower. Right? That's what happened to Jewish people in the concentration camps. We gotta be on our God guard. We need to stand firm in our faith. We need to be men of courage and be strong. We need to understand some of the things that are coming up where we're running into. So how? How do we do this? How do we see this deception? We need to run the race to get the prize. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through, 20 says, through 27 says, Don't you realize that that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. So run to win. Okay, what that means is, it doesn't mean that only one person is going to get to heaven. It means to run like we're, we want to get to heaven. Don't do it half-heartedly. Don't walk part way. Run the whole time your Christian walk. That means pace yourself. Get through the paces emotionally. We don't swing up and down up the hills. We want to find a level, a level, even keel, right? That's not always easy either. But that's what God is calling us to do. All athletes are disciplined in their training. We do it to win a prize that will, not fa- that will fade away, but when we do it for eternal life, we'll do it for an eternal prize. So I run with pers- purpose in every step, I am not just shadow boxing. I'm disciplining my body as an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. We want to spiritually be disciplined in our walk with Christ. If we are not, we will fall away. We will not make it to the end. Christian training. Study the Bible to know God's word. Study the Bible to know God's Word. Don't just read it. Study it to know it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Live a life of worship. What's that look like? It looks like Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it, not for yourself or for your own glory, but as unto the Lord, to give Him the glory. Make prayer a part of your lifestyle. Make prayer a part of your lifestyle. That means living a lifestyle of prayer. What's that mean? That means um, as you go throughout every part of your day, asking the Lord to be a part of those decisions. 
whether it's business decisions, whether it's little things, because you can involve God in the little things, you'll involve him in the big things. You'll be quicker to turn to him in the major problems if you can work with him in the minor problems. Okay? The last one is loving God by loving your neighbor. How do you know you love God? By loving your neighbor. How do you know you love your neighbor? By loving God. You put other people before yourself. You put God's, your relationship with God before them. So you won't compromise on your beliefs, but you'll help your neighbor out. You set boundaries to help them out. You show them the process of how they can walk out of the muck and the mire. And you don't compromise on that process. And when they're willing to walk closer to where they're to the Lord, you're right there to help them out. Does that mean they walk out of the muck and mire every single time? No, sometimes they fall right back in, don't they? So you start the process over again. And you start it over again until they walk out of the muck and the mire. It's not easy. I've learned how to lie. I used to be really good at it. Now I'm not very good at it. Why? Because I've walked out of that process. Right? If somebody tell, ever tells you, you're not a very good liar, you should say thanks. <laughs> right? Because that means you don't do it very often. So we need to walk out of that process. The second one is boldly share the good news. While we are still able, while before Christ has come back, before we pass away, we need to share our story, our Jesus story, right? I used to be, so remember our 22nd testimony. It, it would go something like this. I used to be, have no compassion. I was self-centered and deceitful. But then Jesus came into my life. And now I can empathize with those in need, and I'm able to let others go in front of me. Potlucks next week. Can you let other people eat before you? Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Sometimes it is. But it's simple too, isn't it? Why do you pray before your meals? Why do you, you ever wonder why you do that? We used to do that tradition. I didn't, I didn't know why we did it. I'm hungry. I want to eat. That's exactly why you do it. Because instead of eating, you're, you're giving yourself just an itty-bitty micro fast. And you're saying, God, you're more important than this meal. I'm going to take time to thank you for this meal. And then I'm going to eat. Whoa. Didn't know you could do that, did you? Romans 10, 14, and 15. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have never heard about him? And how could they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Do people know that you follow Jesus more than just your actions? Do your actions reflect Christ Jesus? I think that's where the problem is with our witness. A lot of times we don't feel like it's, I don't feel like a Christian. Well, what do you need to do right now to make those steps 
to look, look more like Jesus. Maybe it's I need to clean up my mouth. Maybe it's I need to keep my mouth closed. Maybe my overflow of my heart is speaking way too much. And I need to get in God's word so I know what it needs to say. I need to be able to count to 10 before I blow up in anger. I need to take two deep breaths before something like that happens. I need to be able to walk away from my spouse or my loved ones before I blow up at them. I need to cast my anxieties on Christ because they're consuming me today. I need to allow him to know my anxious thoughts because he knows them anyway. And I need to have him come in and create in me a clean heart and a pure mind so that I might choose to follow him. What The best way for me to do that is Christian music. I get a Christian music stuck, song stuck in my head, I'm good for the rest of the day. If it switches to a secular song, for me personally, I know my thought process has gone down the wrong road. Okay? Last one, the final one. Expect a polarized response. Why? Why are people polarized when it comes to Jesus? It's fear. People fear the unknown. People don't want to hear what they're doing is wrong and that there's a, a right way a lot of times either. But think about this. Is a masterpiece created with one blow of the hammer? Not if you're Michelangelo. Maybe if you're a modern artist today. Ta-da, there it is. It's called Nick. He's my best friend. No. David wasn't made by Michelangelo with one blow of the hammer, was he? It just came out of the rock. Unless you're Moses' brother Aaron. It just jumped out of the fire. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? It's crafted by human hands. And anything that we craft by our, our human abilities, it's worthless. It doesn't last. It's chaff that gets burned away. But when we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we're refined by God's fire, we allow him to work in our lives and our hearts. It changes. And people see that change. And some people are going to be attracted to it. And some people are going to be scared by it. Why is that? Because that means they can change too. You can see this out of the cycle of, of poverty. You can see this out of a cycle of alcoholism. They want to make sure the next generation stays in poverty or stays an alcoholic because if they can beat it, that means I could have beat it too. But we, as Christ followers, can't go back and look at our dad or our father and say, well, I beat it. You could have beat it too and become bitter on that way. No. We come alongside our dad, our father, our mother, whoever was in that, and we say, Dad, I can show you the way. Here's the process on how I did it. Here's the steps, huh? The 12 steps. What? 
They used to be biblically-based steps. They still can be if you find the old books, right? They can walk you out of those addictions. They can walk you out of that process and toward Jesus Christ. Amen? He can do it. He can change people. I know because I've been changed. I came out of a, a line of alcoholics. My grandpa stopped. My dad chose not to. I don't even like the taste of alcohol. That's a blessing that's been passed down because my grandpa chose to stop drinking. I'm pretty sure his dad was an alcoholic. We don't get, I don't get many bits and details of that, but I'm pretty sure from what I picked up. This didn't happen overnight. That was several blows. That's four generations. Right? That's crazy. The, the gospel always brings both power and persecution. We see this in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Sometimes it's name-calling. Sometimes... His house is getting burnt down, right? See that over in, on the Middle East? See it in China? Their church is getting wiped out, burnt down. Do they stop having church? No. I think actually they're doing better than they were. Not, not uh, materialistically, but spiritually. They have to depend on the Lord. That's all they have left. Are you willing to do that? Trust and obey. For there's no other way. Be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. So what's the impact that you want to make on this world? Is it one for the Lord? So I ask you the question, the second question. Will they remember you or will they remember Jesus? God calls us to keep our eyes open as not to be deceived, we must run the race that he has set before us so that we might receive the prize at the end. White Rose, I hope you run. I encourage you to run with the Lord. I encourage you to be lifted up in his ways. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know it only takes a spark to get the fire going. And it is our responsibility to light a fire in our lives, a flame that is powered by the Holy Spirit that is held out courageously in the midst of a storm but never goes out because it is fueled by you, Lord. Soon all those around, they're going to understand that there's something different about us, that we're changed. And your love... Once we've experienced it, Lord, it has to be expressed. It has to be told. And we want to share that love, Lord. We want to pass it on. Allow our hearts to be a beacon of light to those that have no hope to help us to share the love of Jesus to those who have not experienced love, to have compassion on those that have only, only find defeat, Lord. You are our God. You are our creator. You sent your son as our loving savior. We pray in Jesus' name that you will go and be our protector, our defender, our leader, 
and be our persuader in our hearts and in our, through our mouths that the world may know who you are uh, because of your followers, your church, as you commissioned it, because that's the way it was meant to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go full, full of grace. Amen.